Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Thank you. 
one is from the book of Colossians, page number 2. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Page 2, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Oh, 
for this day. Thank you, Father, for another day, for this seventh day of the week, and for the opportunity to share your word and to hear your word. Thank you for this opportunity to fellowship and to learn and to grow in your word, in your truth, in your spirit, and in your will. Praise your holy name. Father, we ask that your will be done in us today, in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits, and in our flesh and in our tongue, that you would anoint us, use us, send us forth as your body, as your arms, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your ears, and your eyes to the world for salvation and deliverance in this dark time of wickedness. We ask, Father, your will be done in this service and in our lives constantly, every day and every second. We ask, Father, that you be glorified in all of this. The truth be exalted. Your word be done and thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise Jesus. You may be seated. So, greetings, everyone. Greetings to whoever may be listening from the state of California. I see somebody, according to the computer, is calling to listen from California. So, we welcome you and we welcome everyone else and Brother AJ and sisters Kiki and Lisa and and others around the world, as you may be listening or calling in or listening to the archives, whether you're listening live or in the rebroadcast, we appreciate you, and we are very thankful that the Spirit of the Lord has led you here today with us in spirit, in one mind, in one accord. Amen. In Jesus' name. We're going to start today in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, where you find the Ten Commandments. And as you turn to Exodus 20, I'll just let people know if you're listening for the first time, we're reading from the, uh, the uh, Alpha and Omega Bible. And But you're welcome to try to follow along in the King James or any translation you may have. And uh, if you don't know what Alpha and Omega Bible is, you're, uh, you can find out. At Alpha Omega Bible dot I saw the light ministries dot com. Again, that's Alpha Omega Bible dot I saw the light ministries 
www.thepeacefulmovement.com. You can download it for free at that address, and uh, you can also order it on Amazon and bookdepository.com and other places across the Internet for a paperback copy as well. And for the record, today's date is February the 24th, 2018, A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every day is calculated to the birth and death of Jesus Christ to the, and to creation and so forth. And we give honor to Jesus, even as we say the date of A.D., meaning in the year of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In God's calendar, the created calendar, it is the ninth day of the twelfth month. To learn about God's calendar, how you can tell time with the sun and the moon and the stars, the clock in the sky that God created for all of us before there was electricity and human clocks, you can go to I Saw the Light Ministries dot com slash new moons dot html again that's slash new moons dot html today's topic is don't take his name in vain don't take his name in vain what does that really mean we have all been taught from children, since we were little children, that it means not to say the GD word. And definitely, we should not say the GD word. But I'm going to prove to you by Scripture, not by what anybody has taught me, not by my opinion, not my belief, not my doctrine, not something I've come up with, but what the Bible says is the true meaning of this. What is the true meaning of this commandment? First, let's read that commandment in Exodus 20. And that is in verse 7. You should not take the name of Jesus your Theos in vain. For Jesus your Theos will not equip him that takes his name in vain. Then it moves on to the, the Sabbath commandment in the next verse. So it's only one verse in this particular chapter. But there are other verses in the Bible that clarifies it, that explains it, that teaches it, because we should never go by one verse alone. Amen. We should not teach one verse theology. Now, of course, like I said, Everybody has always been taught from childhood that it means the GD word. But the word God is not his name. God is not his name. His name is Jesus. For Acts 4, verses 10 to 12, teaches us that his name is Jesus. And throughout the entire Bible, it teaches his name is Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby 
we must be saved. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. There's no higher king, no higher Lord. If you believe that scripture, that he is king of kings, Lord of lords. Another scripture, he is the alpha. There's no, no greater alpha. He is the omega. He is the first, the last, beginning, and the end. Amen. We only have one Savior, not two, not three, not four, not five. But God is not his name, but rather just a generic word that really means spiritual leader, spiritual king, spiritual ruler, even deity, money is a god of many, many people. Cars, houses, lands, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, family, friends, the list goes on and on and on. That there are many gods of the world, money, silver and gold are people's gods. God is not his name. Amen. So how can it be that it just is only talking about saying this one word when that's not even his name? Let's look at some other verses that will give light to this. But before we go to these other verses, I will make a small point of a different uh point here for a second without trying to get off subject for too long is it says also that he will not equip him that takes his name in vain. So that kind of sounds like there's no forgiveness ever. That it cannot be pardoned. But yet another verse says that there is only one sin that that is unpardonable, that we cannot be forgiven of, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. So if we say that this is another unpardonable sin, then we make the other verse a liar, which it's not, that says that there's only one sin. So this does not mean that you can never receive forgiveness for this, but what it really means is that you will not escape chastisement. You will not escape a punishment for breaking this law. That if you do take his name in vain, which we will explain what it is, that you will, you will, not maybe, you will receive punishment, chastisement, as you would for breaking any of these Ten Commandments. So that's what that part really means. And before we turn the pages, I really encourage you to write in a actually better translation for the word take. You should not take means receive. And that word all by itself, when you look it up, what it actually means, the word take, if you look it up in the concordances, it does not mean speak. 
it does not say that you should not speak the name of Jesus in vain. It does not say that and does not mean that. Just by looking up the meaning of the word take, you start to understand. Just by translating it more correctly, more accurately, what that one word means, receive. So notice I did not say scratch it out because it's not inaccurate. But just kind of right in above it or at the end of the verse or beside the verse, the word receive. And put maybe a little star next to the word take to refer to your notes would be a good way of doing that. So you should not receive or take. So it's receiving the name of Jesus. But doing so in vain. But doing so in vain. Now, we won't go just by what Strong to Corinth says, but we will look at other verses. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Matthew 5, verse 33. We'll go from verse 33 to 37, God willing. Matthew 5, 33 again. You have heard that the agents were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall pay your vows to the Lord. Now, before we keep going, look at verse 21. You have heard that the agents were told you should not commit murder. Where do you find thou should not commit murder? Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. Again, one of the Ten Commandments. So the context is Jesus teaching the Ten Commandments. And he's not saying that they're done away with or deleted nor changed, but rather he is explaining how to keep the law of the Ten Commandments in the spirit of the law, in the way that they were always, always meant to be kept. He's not changing. He is explaining. He has given us understanding of why he gave these laws in the first place. What is the purpose of these laws? What is the spirit of the law? That even if you hate someone, that you are committing a murder murder in your heart. Amen. In your soul. You're just as guilty. Amen. And that should not commit adultery that you don't have to do that only in the flesh, but even in your heart, even in your mind, a man looking at a married woman. That that is adultery just by looking. So when we understand the context, 
that he's teaching us the spirit of the law of the Ten Commandments. Then we come down there about the vows. Now, vows, that is something that comes out of your mouth. But again, it's more than your mouth. It's more than the flesh, but also the soul, the spirit, the mind, the heart. So, verse 33, again, you've heard that the agents were told that you should not make false vows, but should pay your vows to the Lord. That if you make a vow, it must be fulfilled. You must keep your promise. Verse 34, but I say, but I say to you, make no oath at all, not by heaven, for it is the throne of Theos, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Thou, nor shall thou make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one head white hair, one white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these are of evil. Now, at first glance, without looking at any other scripture, without examining all the Bible, we can say that verse or think or conclude or wrongfully assume in verse 33 that we can't make any vow. I mean, that's the way it looks. It seems as clear as can be that we can't make any vow, not even in court, can't lay your hand on the Bible, but you can't promise nobody anything, that you can't make, make a vow, any vow, and not really even to God. Is that what that really means? No. It seems like it until you read the entire Bible, not going by one verse theology. We know that the book of Numbers, chapter 6, I know that's Old Testament, but the Bible never tells us to rip the pages of the Old Testament out. It's there to teach us. Numbers 6 teaches us about a vow called the Nazarite vow, which is completely different from Nazarene. A Nazarene is a person born or living or dwelling in the city of Nazareth, which Jesus, a city that Jesus was connected with. But a Nazarite vow, you can be Gentile. You can be Russian, Chinese, American. You can be anything. You don't have to be from any particular town. All you have to do is make a decision or a choice or be led by God to make that vow that you would never cut your hair, not even trim your hair, not drink any alcohol because you have that particular vow. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that that vow was extremely common for the Israelite men, extremely common. Almost every Nazarite man would take that vow at some point of his life, but a lot of times it would only be for one year. It was not always for a lifetime. We know that certain men was born with that vow, that God had ordained that vow upon them, 
even before the foundations of the world, and even from the time of conception, that they were born with that vow, including John the Baptizer, Samson, Samson and Goliath, Samuel, and other men in the Bible. But Paul also had this vow, but probably for only one year. There's a scripture that talks about Paul shaving his head to fulfill a vow. And that would have been the Nazarite vow, the end or conclusion or fulfillment of that one year or however long span, length span, that it may have been for Paul. People can take it for a matter of days, weeks, several years, most of the time one year, and some people a lifetime. So it's important to understand these things as well. Now, that vow, a Nazarite vow, whether he was born with it or whether it's a vow that you made to the Lord sometime in your life, regardless of length, it is a vow to the Lord. And Paul made a vow to the Lord. He made that Nazarite vow. And other people made vows to the Lord. I've made vows to the Lord. I'm sure you have probably, most of you, a lot of you, a vow of some kind, a promise to God of some kind. It's not wrong to say, Lord, for the rest of my life, I would never again watch porn. Hey, that's a pretty good vow, promise. That's a pretty good vow to make. And it's not against the spirit of the law. It's not against God's heart. It's not against God's mind or God's will for you to make a vow. Another vow that would be a great and wonderful and actually required vow that you are required to make is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that you're making a vow to him that he is your Lord forever, forever. A lifetime vow from that moment forth. And that is, there's a word for it, which the Bible will give me later as we keep reading, but there's a word for it that, I'm going to use a, a temporary word for now, but it's a dedication unto the Lord at baptism. That when you are baptized, you're sliding on the engagement ring. You're saying, Lord, this baptism is more than symbolism, and it's more than getting wet, and it's more than taking a swim, but brother, I'm making a vow to you at this baptism that I'm accepting you as my Lord and my Savior, and I'm going to live for you from this moment forth for the rest of my life and into eternity. Amen? That's a good vow. So then, if there be good vows, what does he really mean in the spirit of the law? What is the purpose? The spirit of the law means the spiritual reason, the purpose of why he's saying what he's saying. That is what we mean by spirit of the law. And the spiritual purpose and meaning is this. 
Keep your word. Do not lie. Be a person of honor, a trustworthy person that when you say something, you mean it, and everybody knows that you're going to keep your word, that you're going to be a man of honor or a woman of honor, and that you keep your word, that you're trustworthy. That is the spirit behind this, the purpose behind this, the principle behind this. That you should not just throw words out of your mouth without thinking about what you're saying. Careless, vain words. For we will be held accountable for, the Bible says, every idle word. And what that means is for words that we have said to somebody, I will call you tomorrow, I would take you to the store, I would give a ride, give you a ride, I will pay your electric bill, or I would do this, or I would do this, or I would do this, or I would do that. And then you don't fulfill your word. And Jesus is saying, don't swear that you're going to do something. Don't make a vow to somebody if you're not going to do it. If you say that you're going to be somewhere at 3 o'clock, you are to show up at 5 till 3, 10 minutes to 3, 15 minutes to 3. Being a person of honor that that person can count on you as much as they can count on the sun rising tomorrow, that when the sun's supposed to rise at that particular time, so will you also show up at their doorstep. But now it goes even deeper than all this. Because he's talking about the Ten Commandments and it directs forward taking or receiving the name of Jesus in vain. So now it gets even deeper than this. Not only how you're treating other people with love and being an honorable person, but also treating God with love. And that if you have said to God, you are my Lord, that you're not saying that in vain. That you're not receiving his name upon yourself as a Christian, a Christian, in vain. That if you're telling people at work or your family or your friends or anybody that you are a Christian, that you follow Jesus, and yet you are walking in darkness, listening to hard rock and, hard rock and roll music, reading satanic books, watching horror movies, watching pornography, committing adultery, murdering people in your heart and mind, so forth and so forth, being a hypocrite, and you're not walking in his commandments, you're not keeping the seventh day, which is one of the Ten Commandments, you're not keeping his holy days, you're not paying your tithes, then all of this is is in vain to say that you have received his name upon yourself. When you marry 
when a woman marries a husband in the United States. I know different cultures are different. But in the United States, when a woman marries a man, her last name becomes the last name of her, of her husband. And then they both, from that point forth, have the same last name. But if a woman cheats on her husband, God forbid, then she has taken her husband's name in vain. When we are baptized into Christ Jesus, which is exactly what the Bible says, that we are baptized into him, we're taking his name. We are, from that point forward, engaged to him, betrothed to him, just as much in the same way as a woman is to a man, and the man is the head of the woman, even as Christ is the head of the church, and we are the bride, and he is the groom, and we are taking his name upon ourselves, and we should act as a loyal, dependable, trustworthy, honorable bride for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, our husband, our King, and our God. This is why we pray and pour our hearts out on our knees before we take Passover communion and before baptism. Because we should not take baptism lightly, and we should not take the name of the Lord God in vain, and we should not do communion, Passover communion, lightly, as if it's nothing but Kool-Aid. Babylon, false Christians, Christians of the world rather than Christians of Christ, they treat communion on a weekly, monthly basis as Kool-Aid, and yet they say they do it with great honor and respect and holiness and reverence. But how can you do such, drinking it like a alcoholic, drinking it every day or every week or every month, any time that it shoots your fancy rather than on the appointed time, as the Bible says, appointed times. Fourth of July is at appointed time, only on the Fourth of July. Thanksgiving, only on Thanksgiving, so forth. To take communion on any other day than Passover is to tread it underfoot, treat it with dishonor and disrespect, and to take that communion in vain. And regardless of the date, even so more, so much more, if you take that communion, then go live like the devil. Once saved, always saved, is the doctrine of Satan the devil. Evil be his name. Once you are saved, you are required to abide, dwell, continue to live in, Christ Jesus, and walk as he walked, as he walked for our example. Amen. And he did not do anything in vain. So going back to verse 33 and verse 34, verse 34, make no hope at all. It's talking about in general. If you're not going to keep your word, he would rather for you. He would rather for you to not swear and not promise, but rather only to say yes 
or no, rather than promise or make a vow or swear if you're going to break it. This is the principle. This is the spirit of the law. Considering all verses, considering the entire Bible, that there are good and acceptable hopes. In fact, I believe, perhaps, most likely even in the New Testament, tells us to pay our vows to the Lord, which actually it does even in that verse. But there are good and acceptable vows. And let's look at some other verses in the book of 1 John, over there next to the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 1. One John chapter one. One John one, starting in verse five, verse five through ten, we we'll read God willing. One John one verse five. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that Theos is light, and in him. There is no darkness at all. No darkness in God. He is light. He is love, not hate. Amen. There's no darkness in him. He is pure. Verse 6, if we say that we have communion with him, another way of saying that is that we have taken his name or that we are a Christian or that we are a part of the church or that we're saved, if we say any of these things, then we are saying that we have communion with him. We're saying that we know him, that we live for him, that we're Christian, that we're saved. If we say with our mouth that we have communion with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We have broken our vow. We have told a lie. We're liars. And we do not practice perform, doing, doing works of the truth. We're not saved by works, but we are called to good works, the Bible says, and faith without works is dead. We must practice, do something in the truth. And we're lying if we have saved that we have communion with him, and yet we're walking, which means more than just walking with your feet. It means how you live your life whether or not you're keeping the commandments, how you treat people, how you act at work, what, list, what music you listen to, what TV shows you, you watch, what movies, what books, everything. How you walk is daily living and practicing the truth. It's also daily living. How do you live your life? Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, without any darkness, pureness, holiness, be you holy, be ye perfect. These are real Bible verses, but people tread them underfoot. People trample them underfoot. Say, I can't do that. But Jesus said, be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect, and be ye 
holy, even I, even as I am holy, or as he is holy, however he said it. So, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have communion with one another, each other, each other. When you take Passover communion, you are taking communion with him, Christ Jesus. And you're saying, with the symbolism of that sip of wine and that small piece of unleavened bread, you are symbolizing and you are saying with a vow, Lord, you are my God, you are my Theos, you are my master. I love you, I receive you, and I re-examine myself every year carefully for days and weeks ahead of time. I'm not treating this lightly. I'm not treading it underfoot. I'm not treating it like Kool-Aid or milk and cookies. But this is serious business. We're not just playing in church. This is not a game. This is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, symbolically, but not only symbolically, literal in your heart and your mind. Of course, it's not literal in the flesh. Of course, it's not literally the blood and body of Jesus Christ. But in your heart and your mind, you are literally receiving Christ Jesus. And renewing him and feeling more of him in you every year. And every year you're examining yourself. Am I lost? Am I saved? Am I walking in darkness? Am I walking in the light? Am I showing fruits of repentance that was required, as John the Baptist told the Pharisees, bring forth fruits of repentance? Are we doing these things? Can I take this? Can I take this? Am I a hypocrite? These are things that you should ask yourself before communion every year, before Passover year, not treading it underfoot, not treating it lightly, but treating it with true reverence, realizing what you're doing, and you're taking communion with the Lord, but according to this verse and other verses, not just with him, but with one another. I encourage you to underline the words, one another. Even as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 11, in those last verses, 1 Corinthians 11, that you can write in your notes and check it out later as you prepare for Passover, March 31st will be Passover, that Paul said that we are having communion with the body of Christ and we should judge the body of Christ not only judging ourselves and re-examining ourselves, but also even judging the body of Christ who we're taking communion with. You don't want to take communion with the devils, Paul said in another chapter. We should not take fellowship. Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? But even another chapter that you should not take communion with devils or that you should not partake or sacrifice with devils and so forth. Is the church you're attending, the congregation that you attend with, full of hypocrites? Then you should leave that congregation. It's better to be alone and have services in your own home than it is to have services in a house full of hypocrites. Who are you taking communion with? Because who you drink with, you are becoming one of them. If you drink with an alcoholic, you will become alcoholic. 
If you have dark, wicked people over to your home, you will become a dark, wicked person. Who you hang out with, who you have communion with, the Bible teaches all of these things. Read the Bible. Amen. Bad company corrupts manners. It also corrupts your soul. Be careful who you fellowship with. Be careful what church you go to. You should pray and fast about what church you go to. Not the closest church to your house. To save money, what about saving your soul? I'd rather drive for two hours every week than to drive to a house full of lies. Amen. The people can drive 30 minutes, even an hour, to a store for good prices that they can't, won't, not even willing to drive for an hour or two for the truth every week. For ironies. Who is your God and is he really your Lord? Will you really put the kingdom first? You're willing to drive for an hour for good prices. How come you're not willing to drive for two hours for the truth of God and the word of God? in fellowship with true brothers and sisters. Amen. Having communion with one another, verse 7, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, guess what? He is faithful. Underline that. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? I'd like for you to circle and circle and circle and circle and circle or highlight and put it up on your refrigerator and your mirror to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That includes homosexuality, witchcraft, murder, previous abortions, and having taken the name of the Lord in vain. Now that you are willing to get serious about your salvation, the fate of your soul, and your relationship with Christ Jesus, he can and will forgive you of having taken the name of the Lord in vain. It's not too late. The door has not yet shut. You can get serious. You can make a serious vow and stop lying to God and stop pretending to God and stop pretending to yourself and stop pretending to family and to friends and to everybody else in church. It starts with one person. If we want revival, if we want salvation for the whole nation or the whole world, first, you have to get saved. Stop pointing the finger at everybody else and get saved yourself. The church needs to get saved. Amen? We all love to point the finger, but we'd rather start pointing it toward ourselves. We have no right to teach, instruct, guide, judge, condemn, anything, anybody, until we get our own lives straightened up first. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 7 about judge not. But keep reading. Keep reading. Because it says 
that we should remove the beam out of our own eye first. Then we will be able to help our brother. Amen. It's not saying you can never judge. It's saying don't be a hypocrite. Get your own life cleaned up first. Amen. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Vain means don't receive his name in vain. Means don't be a hypocrite. And he is faithful. Forgive us of all unrighteousness and sin. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Verse 23 actually started in verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'd like for you to underline the word does. That means do something. Do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now when it says kingdom of heaven, some people will use this, twist this to mean entering heaven to live in heaven forever. But it doesn't say live in heaven. It says enter the kingdom of heaven. That's entirely different. So underline the word enter which is different from living, and underlying kingdom, which is different from just heaven. Heaven is a location. Heaven is a place. But it doesn't say enter or live heaven. It says enter the kingdom of heaven. You can even translate the word of as the word from would be totally accurate as well. The kingdom from heaven or the kingdom of heaven, meaning just as you would say Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States, that the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that is reigned from heaven, even not like that. So it's not teaching we're going to live in heaven forever and ever because the Bible does teach very, very, very clearly that Jesus is coming to the earth, that we will reign with him, on the earth for that thousand years, Revelation 5.10. Notice Jesus coming to the earth, Zechariah 14, and Revelation 19, that Jesus comes to the earth. And then look what happens after the thousand years, that there's a short season after the thousand years. Isaiah 65, verse 20, identifies that short season of the second resurrection when Satan is loosed onto the planet again. But the preachers in Babylon has never taught you that after the thousand years, Satan will roam the earth again and deceive people again. And people will sin and rebel against God again. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, it's in the Bible. But the preachers and the pastors have not read the entire Bible. And even if they have, when they read these verses in these chapters, it's as if they have never read them 
because they don't take it to heart. They don't think about it. They don't examine it. They don't study it. They don't pray over it. They don't fast over it because they've never been taught what these verses mean and they don't know what they mean because they're not saved. And these are the same people right here in this verse. That not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, as all these pastors do, will enter. They won't enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, underline in your name, both times there, in your name, in your name, in your name, three times in that one verse. Find all three times in verse 22. Underline it all three times. In your name. These people, these preachers, these television evangelists, Billy Graham, Rick Warren, Joel Olstein, and the list goes on and on and on. Many people, many television evangelists, many rich, filthy rich preachers, even in your own neighborhood and the closest church next to you, that has said in your name, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name we cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You never was saved. Never, ever. You was never saved. You might have went to church. You may have preached. You may have been a pastor. You may have even gotten baptized. You may have even kept the seventh day and the holy days. But I never knew you. These people took the name of the Lord in vain. Depart from me, you who work at transgression of the law. And they preach against works, but yet they teach also that you must break the commandments. They are teaching that every Sunday. You must break the commandment of the seventh day by going to church on Sunday and not Saturday. You must do this to get to heaven. This is what they're teaching every Sunday in these churches of Satan. They are not the churches of Jesus Christ, even if they have Jesus' name on the building. They are not the churches of the Alpha and the Omega, the one creator. They are the churches of the Trinity. They are the churches of Greek mythology. They are the churches of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Iran, right here in your local town. Jesus, I have never known these people. Amen? But yet, they have taken the name of the Lord and put it on their buildings and committed fornication and adultery against the Lord God Almighty every Christmas, every Easter, every Halloween, and every Sunday on a weekly and throughout the year basis, taking the name of the Lord in vain. Every time you see the Christmas decorations and putting the name of the Lord on it, and yet these were satanic, demonic, Islamic, pagan practices that existed even before the birth of Jesus Christ. Do your own research. Don't believe me. 
Christmas and Easter and Halloween are of the devil, and they are very, very, very old agent practices of witchcraft. Christ was never the reason for this season. Christ was never the reason for Christmas. It was Satan, the devil. Check it out for yourself. Do your own research. Amen. And they work at transgression, the law, breaking the law, and teach everybody else to follow them, the blind leading the blind, the deaf leading the deaf. This is breaking the commandment. This is breaking the commandment. The third commandment, that I shall not receive the name of the Lord in vain. And it's a false vow. Let's go to James chapter 4. James 4. Over there right before Hebrews or after Hebrews, whichever it is. After Hebrews. James 4. James 4, verse 13. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. They're making a lot of plans there. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does it not, to him it is sin. And what this is really saying, among other things, is if you say you're going to do something, you might not know that tomorrow there will be a flood, an earthquake, a tornado, a death in the family, something, car will break down, you'll lose your keys, a knock at the door you didn't expect, a surprise of visitors from out of town. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow unless it's revealed to you by the Lord. So, we should not treat our words carelessly and in a, a way that is in vain. We should weigh our every word because we will be judged, the Bible says, by every word. Therefore, we should say the Lord willing, or we say God willing, same thing. You don't have to say, it says here in black and white, the Lord wills. We have to say exactly like this. That is legalism, and is going by the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is give God the glory 
and, and humble yourself and realize you don't know tomorrow unless the Lord wills it or reveals it. And be careful about your words. That's the spirit of the law. So we, we have a saying around here, God willing and the creeks don't rise. Because the creeks might rise, literally, and we might not be able to get out of our driveway. So we should say, I'll see you tomorrow if the Lord will, or if God will and the creeks don't rise. Of course, you don't have to add the creeks don't rise. That's just saying we've come out with. But you get the point. Amen. Praise Jesus. So, two two things. Don't take the name of the Lord your vain, but also be a person of honor and respect. Be trustworthy. So, there's two different lessons there in the same thing. Don't trample Christ underfoot. Treat him with reverence. Live sincerely in Christ Jesus and live as a person of honor and a person of your word. I was raised that if a man shakes hands with another man or if a woman shakes hands with another woman or if a man and woman shake hands on a deal, the deal is sealed with that handshake even without a piece of paper even without getting a notary republic to stamp it with a government seal, that you shake hands on something. It's a deal. It's a promise and it's a vow. And if either, any, any, either person breaks this vow of that handshake, you never trust them again. They're not a person of their word and they are dishonorable and don't even talk to them. This is the way I was raised and a lot of people in this region was raised and I believe that this is a big practice. But also in this region, in our culture of the mountain area of Tennessee, is you don't even have to shake hands. You don't even have to shake hands. If you say something with your mouth, every word is an oath. Every word. Here in this region, you have to treat every word as an oath, and, and weigh heavily your words. And this is the law of God. This is the law of God. This is the way it should be, even if you don't shake hands. And if something happens and you forgot to say, God willing, and the creeks don't rise, even if you forgot to say that, or even if you did say that, regardless, either way, and something happens out of your control, then you still owe it to that person to call them, text them, email them, whatever the case may be, and let them know why that you that something has happened. Inform them so that that person understands that you did not break your vow on purpose, that it was just unforeseen circumstances, that you did not see tomorrow coming. So be careful with your words, and even then, if you still, something, some things are just beyond our control. And it's not a sin to accidentally not keep your word if it's accident. But if you're, if you're blowing your mouth 
left and right and you and you have no intent to keep it or you do have an intent, but after you say it, even though you had good intent, you said it and you meant it, but then 30 minutes later or 24 hours later, it's no longer important to you, then yes, you did lie. And yes, you did take it lightly and trample it underfoot and treat it, your friendship lightly and honor lightly instead of serious. So you have to weigh your words heavily and then keep them weighed heavily, not just for the moment you say it, but even into the next day and the next month and the next year that you're going to pay your vows. The same is true when you sign a contract with a business. You are promising that business that you're going to pay that. And then you're going to pay all of it, and you're going to pay on full time. You are promising, and you're making a vow with your signature. We are supposed to be people of honor. We, as a Christian, we are a, a, a walking billboard to the world. We are to be lights to the world. The world should look at us and say, no, that is a person of honor. He is a man of his words. Of all the dark, wicked, lost people in the world should be able to look at a Christian and say, now that is a Christian. Amen? Christians should be trustworthy, dependable, and honorable people. Amen? Now, again, I don't, I don't mean to be at a dead horse to death when he's already dead, but unforeseen circumstances is not a sin as long as you have always, from the moment you said it to the end, weighed heavily your words and have always, not just for the moment you said it, but always weighed heavily your heart, your intent to pay your vows to anybody, everybody, especially the Lord. Unforeseen circumstances do happen, but you still owe it to the company, to the person, and to the Lord. Why? Amen? And in this particular day and season, where the great tribulation is now at the door, when you signed yourself into a vow and a contract with your cable television company or your cell phone or whatever company that you have already agreed into that you're going to pay these, but then the day of the Lord comes and you die or you go into the wilderness or you flee or you hide or whatever the case may be, then you're not breaking the commandment because you did intend good and only good when you signed the papers. But now, now that you know that the day of the Lord is so near, and then you go tomorrow and get a $10,000 loan, knowing, knowing that you're not going to pay a penny on it, because knowing that the next day or a month later you're going to be off-grid and never see that company again and they won't be able to track you down, that is stealing. And that is not honor. 
and that's having no intent to fulfill your vow to that company. That is a sin and is not the way a Christian acts or does or practices or performs. Amen. We are to be people of truth and honor. Amen? Amen. But these companies that we already signed the deal with months ago or years ago before we realized what day and time it was, God will not hold us accountable for that if we had ever intent when we signed it. Well, God willing, the creeps don't rise. The next service will be on the day of Perm, March the 1st, March 1st, less than a week away, Thursday night. We're going to have special services Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the day of Perm. 9 p.m. Eastern Time, March 1st, Thursday, special Perm services. And then again, uh, a couple of days after that are weekly seventh-day services, March the 3rd at 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock p.m. every Saturday, 2 p.m. every Saturday. Uh, God willing, the creeks don't rise. We don't get flooded or washed away. Don't forget we're going to be fasting uh, February the 26th and February 27th. Only two hours minimum per day on the 26th and 27th next week. Two hours per day during your normal meal time. You can choose breakfast, lunch, or supper, or dinner, whatever you call it in your region. That particular time of day of fasting for two hours. You can eat before then, you can eat after then, but it wouldn't be good to try to pack your stomach completely full right before the two hours. That's not acceptable and that's not true fasting. So you shouldn't try to pack your stomach full right before a fast because that is not a sincere fast. Then 24 hours fasting from February the 28th at sunset until the next day at sunset, March 1st, 24 hours fasting then. And the purpose of all this fasting is to call out, cry out, and beg the Lord Jesus Christ to help our families to not fall for the strong delusion. That when the son of perdition, what people wrongfully call the Antichrist, that when he appears, in heaven, in the seat of God, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, that he will sit in the seat of God, in the, in the temple of God, showing and displaying himself as God. This is in heaven. A man standing on the temple mount is not showing himself as God. Nobody would fall for that except for just 10, 20, 100 people. But in in the seat of God, in the temple of God? Yeah. Millions will fall for it when the president of Syria, Bashar Assad, 
evil be his name, appears in the sky. We are begging the Lord, Jesus Christ, that our families will not raise their hands to this demon, that they will not fall to their knees to worship that fallen angel. Lord Jesus, help our families. And if you want to fast longer, you can. But this is the minimum that I'm calling for. Concerning the president of Syria, concerning the strong delusion, abomination of desolation, read the Bible. And we also have the articles on the website at isawthelightministries.com that will point you to the scriptures. Not what I think, not what any person has taught me, but what the scriptures say. And to the Father be the glory, and all of this in Jesus' name. And the congregation said,
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.